Welcome to Asbury United Methodist Church. My name is Pastor Will. Thanks for joining our podcast. This is where you'll be able to find all of our sermons, as well as special devotionals and interviews. We hope these messages inspire hope and bring support as you grow on your journey of faith. If you have any questions, or if you want further conversation, or if you simply like what you hear, connect with Asbury through our Facebook page or by checking our website at asburymaitland.org. Well, I heard a story about a mom who one Sunday morning, she went into her son's bedroom, she pulled back the drapes, she ripped off the bed cover, and she said, okay, son, get up, it's time for us to go to church service. But her son protested, I don't want to go, he said. Come on, son, she said, it's time for us to leave. But I don't want to go, he continued. Well, why not, she asked him. I'll give you two good reasons, he said. Number one, I don't like the people. And number two, the people don't like me. (laughs) Well, it doesn't matter, she said. You still have to go. How come, he asked. I'll give you two good reasons, she said. Number one, you're 47 years old. (laughs) And number two, you're the pastor. You weren't expecting that, were you? I'd say that guy was in trouble. Well, if you're a Christian, is church really necessary? Is it possible to be a Christian apart from the church? Maybe at some point like that pastor, you had a bad experience in church, and that bad experience left you with a bitter taste in your mouth toward Christian community. Or maybe you struggle with the hypocrisy the mean-spiritedness of some Christians. Or maybe you don't consider yourself to be a social person, so church isn't really your thing. Or maybe, quite honestly, you would rather be doing other things on a Sunday morning or throughout the week besides showing up and being part of the church. And so if you're a Christian, is church really necessary? Uh, This is not true all over the world, but it's certainly true here in America that church involvement, and this is not any secret, but church involvement here in America is not what it was a few generations ago. Church does not seem to play the same privileged role in people's lives that it used to. And so there are many folks out there, many sincere, genuine people, they might identify as Christian, but they see church as an add-on to their faith. It reminds me about five years ago, uh, just before Hannah and I were born, a man and I went car shopping. Uh, we traded in her two-door vehicle uh, for a four-door vehicle. And so as we were car shopping, and by the way, if you want to find a good way to test your marriage, go car shopping with your spouse. <laughs> but as we were looking at vehicles, we had those car features that were must-haves, like good gas mileage, lots of cabin room, seat warmers, right? We had those car features that were must-haves, but then we had those car features that were nice to have. In other words, it'd be nice to have them, but we don't necessarily have to have them. Well, there are people out there who, when it comes to Christianity, they see church, what we're doing right now this morning, in the nice-to-have category. They'll say, well, church could be useful. It could be helpful, but it's optional. It's not a necessary part of following Jesus. It's more of a luxury, an accessory to faith. And so the question remains, if you're a Christian, Is church really necessary? 
Well, what I want to do in this sermon, quite simply, is I want to accomplish two things, just two things. Number one, I want to give us my answer, and then number two, I want to explain my answer. Remember how when you were in school, and of course school started back up in our community a few weeks ago, but remember back to when you were in school, uh, the teacher would say, it's not enough to give the answer, you also have to do what? Show your work. And so in this sermon, I want to give my answer, and then I want to show my work. I want to show how I got to that answer. Sound agreeable to you? And so the short answer is this, and listen, this probably won't shock us, it won't surprise us or blow us away, given the fact that I'm a pastor, but the short answer is yes. If you're a Christian, church is necessary. If you're a Christian, you must be part of the church. Or let me put it a different way. Is it possible to be married to your spouse, for those of us who are married, is it possible to be married to your spouse and never communicate with your spouse? It's possible. I don't recommend it. Is it possible to live your life without exercising or eating properly, doing the things that your doctor tells you to do? It's possible. I don't recommend it. And I do not recommend being a Christian without the church. Listen, if you want to be a healthy, growing, thriving Christian, you must be part of the church. And not only must you be part of the church, you must be active in the church, engaged in the church. If you want to be a disciple of Jesus who walks in the way that leads to life, church must play a huge role in your journey. I know that's not the popular thing to say these days because church involvement has become more lax in our culture. That doesn't make it any less true. And if you're wondering why, I'm going to explain why today. Uh, This sermon that I'm preaching, it's inspired by an article that I read online by a pastor named Paul Prather. Paul Prather, uh, he's a minister out in Kentucky. And my hope is, after this message, that all of us here in this room, all of us worshiping online, that we will have a deeper appreciation and respect for the church. And that God will use this message to inspire us, to lead us, to prompt us to either engage re-engage, or stay engaged with the church. Now, before I get into the meat of this sermon, explaining all the different reasons, all the various reasons why I think Christians must be part of the church, I'm going to clarify a few things. Here's what I'm not saying. First, I'm not saying that those who don't identify as Christian or those who practice a different religion or no religion at all must be part of the church. Of course not. They're under no obligation. And let me also say, by the way, that if you find yourself in that particular category and you're here this morning at Asbury, welcome. We're so glad that you're here. You will always have a home in this church family. Number two, second, I'm not saying that if somebody identifies as a Christian, but they're not actively involved in church, that somehow makes them a bad person or they'll lose their salvation or they won't go to heaven. I'm not saying that either. And third, I'm not saying that anybody under any circumstances should ever stay in an unhealthy church. Unfortunately, there are unhealthy churches out there. Nobody under any circumstances should ever stay in an unhealthy church with toxic leaders. If anybody is ever in that situation, my encouragement to you is to get out and go find a healthy church with good leaders. Nobody's perfect, but with good leaders. So having clarified all that, Here's what I am saying. I am saying, as I said earlier, 
that if you want to grow in your Christian journey, if you want to be the person God has made you to be, church must play a role in your journey. You must be part of the church. And there are many various reasons for this. We don't have time to get into all the reasons today that would take all morning. You probably want to go home at some point. So what I want to do this morning is I want to offer six reasons. How many reasons? Six reasons. Six reasons why I think Christians must be part of the church. And if you're somebody who likes to take notes, I would invite you at this time to write these things down um, so that you can reflect on these things later in the week. Six reasons why I think Christians must be part of the church. The first reason is this. It's up here on the screen. God made us for community. God made us for community. A human being without community is like a fish without water, a bird without wings. Doesn't make any sense. There was a movie that came out uh, back in the year 2000, a very popular movie. In fact, a lot of you probably saw it, called Castaway. Who here has seen Castaway? Most of us have. Who's, who's the starring character, or who's the starring actor in Castaway? Tom Hanks. Somebody in the last service said Wilson. We'll talk more about that in a moment. <laughs> but Tom Hanks is the main character. And Tom Hanks plays the part of Chuck Nolan. Chuck is an employee with FedEx. And at the beginning of the movie, he's on a cargo plane. He's traveling over the Pacific Ocean. Well, all of a sudden, the plane crashes in the Pacific. And unfortunately, he is the sole survivor of the crash. Everybody else dies in that crash. And so he winds up on a deserted island. He's all by himself. He's able to come up with shelter and food and water, but he is so isolated. He is so lonely. He has nobody to be with, nobody to talk to. In fact, he's so desperate for community. What does he do? He takes one of the cargo packages that had washed ashore. He opens it up. There's a volleyball inside. He puts a handprint on it, and he creates a friend. What was the name of the friend? We have Wilson up here on the screen. Becomes his best friend. And the reality is, had we been in Tom Hanks' position or Chuck Nolan's position in that movie, we would have done the same thing. All of us here today, all of us worshiping on, we are hardwired for community. Even the most introverted among us, and if I could be honest, I consider myself to be more of an introvert than an extrovert, but even the most introverted among us crave community. We long for community. And if we think about it, this isn't shocking, it's not surprising. Because it makes sense theologically when we think about who God is. One of our core convictions as Christians, in fact, we talked about this in the Apostles' Creed as we talked about the Father and the Son and the Spirit. One of our core convictions as Christians is that God is Trinity. That yes, God is one. There's only one God. But from all eternity, God exists as a community of persons. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that these three persons, they're in constant relationship with each other. They're in constant community with each other. In fact, the early Christians, when talking about the Trinity, there was this term that they used. They called it perichoresis. We have this up here on the screen. Perichoresis. Can you all say this with me? Perichoresis. If you ever attend seminary, you'll learn about this term. Perichoresis is actually where we get our English word choreography. What is choreography? The study of dancing, the art of dancing. Perichoresis refers to this divine dance, this holy dance that is happening at all times, even as I'm preaching this message, between the three persons of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, that the Father and the Son and the Spirit are so close 
They're so intimate with each other. They're dancing together. And as it says in Genesis 1.27, the very first page of the Bible, the first statement of a human being that is made in Scripture is that you and I have been made in whose image? We've been made in God's image. We've been made in the image of the Trinity. So we too are made for community. Even as community exists within God, we too are made for community. We're made for community with God, but we're also made for community with whom? Each other. The people you're sitting next to right now. What did God say in the story of creation after he made Adam? Throughout the creation story, there's this refrain, there's this um, phrase that gets repeated again and again, and God saw that it was good, and God saw that it was good, and God saw that it was good. The plants are good, the sun is good, the moon is good, animals are good. But then we come to Genesis 2.18. And for the first time, and this is before the fall, which happens in Genesis 3, but for the first time we hear the words, not good. It is not good for the man to be alone. The Hebrew word for man there, Adam, literally means mankind or humankind. The man stands in for all of us. It is not good for any of us to be alone. And so at its best, and I get that the church is imperfect, I admit that, but at its best, the church offers the community that we crave and the depth of who we are. So that's one reason. Of six reasons, we must be part of the church. A second reason is this. Christianity is not a solo affair. It's a team sport. There is no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian. It's not uncommon for people in our culture to say, faith is personal. Do you agree with that? Is faith personal? I agree with that. Faith is personal, but it's not private. Our faith is a communal faith. It's a corporate faith that we are better and we are stronger, not when we're separate from each other, but when we're together. Uh, it reminds me of this experiment that was conducted a number of years ago. Uh, many of us have probably heard of it before, called the Marshmallow Experiment. Uh, in the Marshmallow Experiment, uh, this kind of reminds me of my son, uh, sometime during mealtime. But in the Marshmallow Experiment, small children were put in a room by themselves. They were maybe four years old, five years old, six years old, and they were given a marshmallow. The marshmallow was put right in front of them. And the researcher said, now listen, you can eat this marshmallow right now. I'm going to step out of the room, and when I come back, you don't know when I'm going to come back, but when I come back, if that marshmallow is still there and you haven't eaten it, you'll get two marshmallows. What was the test meant to gauge? Self-control, delayed gratification, which are important things for us as human beings. Well, what happened two years ago in 2020, in addition to all the COVID stuff that we dealt with, uh, researchers also did something else. They focused on this. They uh, reconducted this test, but they changed it up. They, first off, used cookies instead of marshmallows. And of course, I prefer cookies to marshmallows. That's just me. They put some of the kids by themselves like before, but they also put some of the kids in groups of two together. Do you want to guess which of those kids did better, those who were by themselves or those who had two? There were two of them. By and large, those who were in groups of two did significantly better because they had each other to rely on and lean on. God, who made us for community, 
wants us to rely and lean on each other as we journey with Jesus in this world, as we engage in the work of ministry. I love how the Apostle Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. This is probably Paul's most famous chapter on the church in the entire New Testament. I'll be reading verse 20, verse 21, and verse 27. Paul says, yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. And then he says in verse 27, all of you together are Christ's body. He doesn't say all of you separately, all of you individually, all of you in your own silos. He says all of you together are Christ's body. And each of you is a part of it. Paul's preferred metaphor for the church throughout the New Testament, the metaphor that he uses more than any other metaphor, is the body of Christ. By and large, Paul calls the church, he refers to the church as the body of Christ. And notice, he doesn't say some of us are a part of the body, most of us are a part of the body. He says each of us is a part of the body. And so when we resist Christian community, not only do we suffer individually because we're going against our nature as people and the way that God made us, but the entire body suffers. And so the first reason we must be part of the church. God made us for community. The second reason, Christianity is not a solo affair. It's a team sport. That brings us to the third reason. All of us have a part to play in Christ's body. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you're good at, what your gifts are. All of us have a part to play. I'll never forget, in one of the churches I served, uh, there was this gentleman whom I'll call Rob. Uh, wasn't his real name. Rob was uh, kind of a character. He uh, was not a very big man, but he had a larger-than-life personality. Uh, he was a force to be reckoned with. He had a very short fuse, and so he would lose his temper pretty easily. He was also a bit on the crass side, and so it wasn't uncommon for curse words and swear words to come out of his mouth. In fact, I remember one time at the 11 o'clock service, uh, he was scheduled to read the Scripture passage before the sermon, and he lost his place during the reading. And so we all got very nervous as he was getting visibly upset and frustrated, wondering if he was going to say some very unchristian words in the microphone in front of the congregation. Thankfully, that didn't happen. But I got to tell you, as short-tempered and crass as Rob could be, he was one of the most tender-hearted persons I ever met. We had another guy in the church. He got arrested. He went to prison for something that he had done in his life. Something, quite frankly, that was terrible, awful. He was in jail for a number of years when he was finally released from prison. He didn't want to come back to the church. It was public knowledge what he had done. And so Rob went to his house and he said, well, we're waiting for you. You coming back? And the man said, no, they don't want me back there. And Rob said, yes, they do. And the man said, well, even if I want to go, I don't have transportation. I have no way of getting there. Rob said, I'll take you every time that you want to go. Rob made sure that that man knew, despite what he had done, he too was a child of God. He had a place in the family of God. All of us have a part to play in Christ's body. Rob did, and Rob has since passed away and gone on to glory. We all do. A fourth reason 
we must be part of the church, is that the church places us with people that we wouldn't naturally gravitate toward. Or let me put it this way. Jesus uses the church to place us with people that we would not naturally gravitate toward. Jesus did this with his own disciples. It's often lost on us that among Jesus' 12 disciples, there was a man named Simon who was a zealot. Do you remember who the zealots were? The zealots were Jewish people 2,000 years ago. They despised the Roman government. They hated the Roman government. They could not stand the Roman government. They were even willing to use force, if necessary, to toss out Rome because Rome was subjugating the Jewish people. So Jesus had a political extremist, a zealot among his followers, his closest friends. He also had Matthew. What was Matthew's profession before he followed Jesus? He was a tax collector. His job was to collect taxes on behalf of the Roman government. Do you think Simon the Zealot and Matthew, the former tax collector, would have been in the same group had it not been for Jesus? Of course not. And let's be honest, many of us wouldn't be here in this room right now with the people that are surrounding us if it weren't for Jesus putting us together. Psychologists tell us that as human beings, we have a tendency to surround ourselves with people just like us. People who look like us, think like us, act like us, talk like us, vote like us, have the same level of education as ourselves, and yet Jesus uses the church to mix us all up. One of my favorite preachers is this guy named Will Willimon. Uh, for a number of years, he was the dean of Duke Chapel at Duke University in North Carolina. But then in 2004... Uh, he was elected a bishop in the United Methodist Church. He served the North Alabama Conference of our denomination. Well, somebody once asked Will Willimon what he missed most about his time at Duke University as the dean of the chapel. And he said, you know what I really miss? I miss the Office of Admissions. And the person said, the Office of Admissions? What do you mean? He said, well... The Office of Admissions at Duke assured me that for the most part, I was going to be around people like myself. That's not the case in the church. My role as a bishop has reminded me that in the church, we work with anybody that Jesus drags in that door. Willimon is a bit snarky in the way that he talks, but that's true, isn't it? We work with anybody that Jesus puts in here. We in the church, we are a smorgasbord of people. We are an incongruent bunch. We are a motley crew put together by Jesus himself. And do you know what Jesus does with this smorgasbord of people, this motley crew that he puts together in the same place? He makes them into our family. That's the fifth reason. We must be part of the church. We need our family. I mentioned that Paul's preferred metaphor for the church is the body of Christ, but another metaphor that he uses again and again is the family of God. Consistently throughout his writings, Paul refers to us as what? Sisters and brothers in the faith. We, we may not be related biologically, but we are related spiritually. We may not be related by blood, but we are by the grace-filled waters of baptism that have been shed upon us through God's love. That's why in the, United, in the United Methodist Church, whenever we baptize somebody, and think about some baptisms that we've done in the sanctuary, whenever we baptize somebody in the United Methodist Church, the pastor never says the person's last name. You ever notice that? We say the first name and the middle name. In other words, we say the given name. We don't say the last name. There's a reason for that. 
The idea is theologically, not literally, but theologically, when we join the church, we lose our last names because we become a part of the much larger family of God. And like any good family, the church is there for us through the highs of life and the lows, the good, the bad, everything in between. I love how Paul Prather puts it in this article that inspired this sermon. This is a really great quotation. It's up here on the screen. He says, yes, some Christians will disappoint you. Can we acknowledge this? I'll disappoint you at times. You'll probably disappoint me. We disappoint each other. We frustrate each other. We get under each other's skin. Yes, some Christians will disappoint you. But you'll also find disciples who will sit beside you in court when your kid's up on drug charges and who will hold your hand when your spouse is lying in a coffin, who will bring you soup when you're sick with the flu, who will listen to you when you are angry or sad, when everything's going wrong. They'll assure you it's going to be okay in the end because they and God have your back. As somebody who has spent pretty much his entire life in the church, this has been my experience. When my mom passed away from cancer in 2015, seven years ago this summer, she was in hospice for about 12 hours. She had been in the ICU for a month, Doctors did all that they could. There wasn't much more they could do. And so at their recommendation, we as a family made the very tough choice to place my mom in hospice care. She was 59 years old. It's way too young to die. So I drove down from Davenport. I was serving a church there at the time. Went to Fort Lauderdale, where I grew up. The hospice care was there in the hospital. So I got in the room, and I said to myself, I'm going to be here for as long as I can. So I slept in the room that night. It was the worst sleep I've ever gotten in my entire life. About 5 a.m. on August 13th, my mom's friend Jane came in the room. Jane and my mom had met at the church 15 years earlier. They were part of the same small group. In fact, I was in the same grade as Jane's daughter, and so her daughter and myself, we grew up together. She's actually a pastor now. Jane is a very gifted singer. In fact, she still to this very day sings on the worship band at that church where I grew up. And in a very soft way, she began to sing Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, and now I'm found was blind, but now I see. Then at 6.01 in the morning, on August 13, 2015, as Jane was singing Amazing Grace, my mom crossed the threshold into eternity and entered God's holy presence. Jane, who had done life with my mom, she was there with my mom. And me, as my mom took her last breath. We need our family. Folks, if I had $100 for every time somebody came up to me and said, Chris, I don't know where I would be today if it weren't for our Asbury family. 
That would double our church's budget. And listen, Amanda and I consider it such a great privilege and honor to raise Hannah and Noah up in the church because we want Hannah and Noah to recognize you all as their family, as their aunts and their uncles and their brothers and their sisters and their grandparents and cousins. We want Hannah and Noah to recognize you all as their family as much as they recognize us, their parents, as their family. We need our family. That brings us to our last reason. Sixth reason. We must be part of the church. And this one, by far, it's the most simple, but it's also the most direct. The Bible commands it. The Bible commands it. Listen to what the writer says here. This is Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. The writer says, Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works, and let us not neglect our meeting together. Evidently, this was happening in the early church. Let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return, Jesus' return, is drawing near. Folks, when it comes down to it, church is not optional for those of us who follow Jesus. It's not an accessory it's not a luxury, it's a necessity. And after hearing all the reasons we've talked about this morning, why on earth would we want it to be any other way? Thanks be to God for the church. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the church. For what the church has taught me, about being a follower of Jesus, for the ways in which the church has encouraged me and helped me to grow and mature and become the man that you want me to be. God, I get that the church is imperfect. Let's be honest, we screw up. We're all sinners. We get it wrong. And yet you continue to use us to refine us and shape us and mold us into being your people and also to accomplish your kingdom work in our midst. So God, help us to give ourselves to the church recognizing, God, just how important the church is. After all, your son Jesus died for the church. So please, God, continue to use the church in such ways that you would be glorified and that more and more people might come to know in the depth of who they are, salvation in Jesus Christ. It's in Jesus' holy name that we pray. Amen.